0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, we check in with Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Yurian Timmer, for his weekly discussion on macro themes moving the markets and what trends and topics he has on his radar. This week, Yurian touches on bullish signals and implications on the market, the impact of liquidity on inflation and rate cut expectations. Urian says three weeks ago markets were retracing the gains they made and then on a dime things changed. He points out the catalyst of these changes can be really technical. Yurian says what we experience has been a long correcting period. The odds are now on the side of the market resuming whatever the prevailing trend is which is higher for the stock market. Urian says soft payroll numbers along with a good CPI report has given the overall sense that the Fed is done with rate hikes. Headline CPI is down to three from nine, which is a big improvement. He adds there isn't an incentive to cut rates yet, but it suggests that the Fed has done enough and can really take a pause. He adds the fact that liquidity is improving at the time when the Fed is tightening helps explain why the internal dynamic of the market is starting to improve. Urian says the narrative now is that with big inflation numbers down, the Fed can stop tightening, which can create risk appetite and reduce the cost of capital. As per usual, Urian will be sharing his charts, so please head to@ Timmer Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. This podcast was recorded on November 20th, 2023.
1: It's actually been a fascinating weekend to watch sort of headlines, but I really wanted to pick up on what you left us with sort of towards the conversation, the end of the conversation last week, which was bullish signals. You were seeing technicals that weren't necessarily screaming headlines to anyone else, but you were picking up on. Can we ask you if that's continued?
2: Um, Sure. So let's start with slide seven. So about three weeks ago, uh, of course, the markets were retracing the gains that they had made. Uh, the S&P 500 cap weighted had fallen 10%. You can see that it actually fell out of that rising channel. Only nine, 10% of stocks in the S&P were above their 50-day moving average. So things were starting to look you know, fairly bleak and the S&P 500 equal weighted index actually was kind of Retesting the lows of the range, that's slide 16, if we can go there. Mall caps were retesting the lows, micro caps were making new lows. And then all of a sudden, on a dime, things changed. Um, and uh, a few things happened and it's just, and, and the point of, of this story is just to highlight how sometimes these changes can be meaningful and the, the catalyst for those changes can be you know like very technical and maybe not even um uh, seemed to to kind of t- to most people because they're 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 sort of deep in the plumbing so here's the S&P 500 equal you can see an almost 2 year range and and we did talk about this chart last week but uh while we have it on just just to digress for a moment i just show you you know these trading ranges that we've been in for now almost 2 years 22 months um are not that uncommon you see them here and you see that rising trend line. Um, and it's just a good reminder that you know the odds, you, you wanna play with the odds when you're investing, right? And the odds are that the market goes up 60, 70% of the time by an average of 10, 11%. And that you do have these periods where the market is trending strongly. And then these periods when the market is consolidating or correcting, sometimes short and swift, sometimes long and Drawn out, and certainly this has been a long one. But generally speaking, the odds are on the side of the market resuming whatever the prevailing trend is, which, of course, for the stock market, tends to be higher because the stock market tends to go up over time. And so that gives me some comfort that, as frustrating as, as this chart is, that eventually uh, we will resume that 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 rising slope. Um, but anyway, but I, I digress. But um, so. What's interesting is a couple of weeks ago, what happened was, and maybe we could pull up slide four and just and just keep that slide up for a little bit. Um, we had the the Treasury Department, Secretary Yellen, who has been very active in the debt management side of things. You may remember that um, the the fiscal stimulus back in twenty twenty one one point nine trillion uh, she paid for that by drawing down the Treasury's cash balance at the Fed. Remember when the Fed makes money through its quantitative earn, uh, quantitative easing program, uh, that money belongs to the Treasury. And so that sits at the Fed in what's called the TGA, the Treasury General Account. And in this chart, the orange bar shows the net change since the Fed started tightening. And you can see that that TGA account uh, really swelled up uh, and around around the debt ceiling because the Treasury was not able to uh, issue T-bills or or anything for that matter. So it had to use down, it had to draw down its its checking account basically at the Fed for the lack of a better term. And then since the debt ceiling was lifted in June, I think it was, um, the Fed the Treasury has been replenishing that account. So you can see we went from zero to minus 844 billion to now minus 167. Uh, So what happened about three weeks ago, uh, remember bond yields were testing 5%. We were talking about, you know, how is this sustainable? The treasury is issuing all this debt, who's gonna buy it? And we've talked about that for sure as well. And then uh, uh, Secretary Yellen decided to switch the issuance from the long end of the curve to T-bills. Um, And you think that, well, okay, you know, that's a cosmetic thing, it's still debt, but the bond market liked it because the bond market was kind of drowning in supply, you know, the long end of the market. So that was helpful, but it actually had even more impact because um, if you look at the top panel of this chart, that's the one month T-bill rate and the reverse repo program. So the reverse repo is, a liability of the Fed, right? So money market funds and uh, in general, have a choice when they invest assets and they can buy T-bills or other securities or they can buy reverse repos. And obviously when the treasury was not issuing those bills over the summer, money market funds had no choice but to buy the reverse repos. And so that adds a plumbing element as well. So those are the gray bars in this bottom panel. So when we think about overall market liquidity, We have the Fed's balance sheet, right, which of course has been shrinking as part of QT, quantitative tightening. And then the offsetting factors are this TGA account and the reverse repo account. Um, And what has happened since, uh, actually if we go to slide five for a moment, uh, you can see that that overall liquidity uh, line has had a pretty good resemblance to what the market looks like. Here I'm showing small cap value stocks because those tend to be the most sensitive to liquidity conditions, right? Like the the big, the magnificent seven have so much cash that they don't have bad balance sheets. They have great balance sheets. And, and you know, what the Fed's doing uh, in the plumbing or with rates, you know, affects those companies less because they don't have debt and, and they don't have a lot of interest rate costs. But the smaller companies, the more value companies, they tend to be more levered. They tend to be more interest rate sensitive. So that's why small cap value has been correlated to that Purple line, which is the Fed's balance sheet minus reverse repo minus TGA. Uh, so if we go back to the previous slide for a moment, the reason why this was so important, even though this is like really deep into the plumbing, like most people, like it makes your head hurt to even think about, you know, the the minutia of, of what what's happening. But if you think about it, a few things happen at the same time, right? So Yellen switched up the maturity. Then we had a somewhat dovish sounding Fed. And then we had a soft payroll number and then an even better TPI report last week. What happens next is that money market funds have more T-bills to buy because the Treasury is now issuing T-bills rather than long bonds. And there is a bigger sense that the Fed is done for the cycle. Like if you look at what's priced in, uh, basically the market is concluding the Fed is done. Now, the reason that's important is because the market is now pricing in uh, rate cuts for the next year and the year after. And the market's been wrong on that, uh, so there's nothing really new there. But think about it, if you're a money market fund, and, and this is not direct knowledge sticking to our money market funds, but just in general, and you're looking at T-bill yields, which a year from now may very well start being lower if the Fed is going to give back some rate hikes, and you're looking at reverse repos as the, as the the as the alternative to that, at a time when the treasury is issuing more bills what money market funds are doing is they're buying bills because those bills are going to make more money than reverse repos if the fed eventually is going to start lowering rates and so the long story the long story short there is that those gray bars in that chart uh that's falling very very quickly because Money market funds are all of a finding almost no reason to buy reverse repos and a lot more reasons to buy T-bills because they're basically playing the curve. And so when you have all these three components together, you know, the purple bars, which is the Fed's balance sheet, that continues to shrink. That's QT. That That is ongoing. Um, the TGA has been basically rebuilt, so there's not as much moving the needle there. You see that we're back near zero. And so all the actions on the reverse repo side, which is offsetting this decline in liquidity um, oh, yes. that's, that's coming exactly. from the Fed. So so back to the next chart for just a moment. What you're seeing now is that the liquidity line is starting to improve on the right. I mean, it's not that huge, but the fact that the liquidity is improving at a time when the Fed is tightening, I think, helps explain why all of a sudden the internal dynamics of the market are starting to improve here. And again, it's this is really technical, it's inside baseball, and this is not something that would have lasting fundamental impact on the market. But when we think about what changed a few weeks ago, this is what changed.
1: This is what changed. And then you add so many pieces of the data dependent Fed uh, and these pieces of data coming out. Um, there's more to come and we've got the FOMC yeah. minutes. I, I wonder if we just have you point us in that direction. There's a pile of questions that have come in here, so I'm going to put those to you in just a second, but just kind of add up, that's what changed plus all the data.
2: The the CPI report was an, was was really, really good, right? I mean, it came in, it, it was exactly the kind of report you want to see when you say, okay, especially if you're the Fed, saying, you know, we've raised rates over 500 basis points, the fastest we've ever done, um, and um, uh, yeah, slide 22. And, you know, if you've done that much that fast, uh, you want to see some impact. And of course, if, if the Fed can tame inflation without destroying the economy, then that's the ultimate win. And again, maybe it's too early to proclaim victory here or declare victory, but the Fed has done a lot very fast, and so these are the kind of numbers you want to see. You want to see the economy soften but not implode, and you want to see the the inflation numbers come down. Now, the headline CPI is down to three from nine, so that's a big improvement, but of course, oil prices and other things have an impact, and those can change on a dime, and so the core numbers are somewhere three which of course is still well above the Fed's target, uh, but they're generally moving in the right direction. So again, there's not an excuse here for the Fed to cut rates for sure, but uh but it does suggest that the Fed has probably done enough and can take a can really take a pause here and see how the data unfold. And and it's just, you know, for me as a as a market geek, it's just fascinating that the, the big narrative is this FOMC, the inflation numbers, the Fed can now maybe stop tightening. And that, of course, improves risk appetites, uh, lowers the cost of capital. But to point it back down to these minutiae of these technicals of the actual plumbing, um, I, I find, you know, uh, I find fascinating.
1: Maybe. Absolutely fascinating, and no one else is, is sharing that with us. So it's it's wonderful to have you take us there. Um, a couple of questions we'll we'll put through to you now. So th- this on the liquidity discussion: if overall liquidity continues to increase, does that fuel further inflation? That's always the balance.
2: It's a great question, and of course, what the Fed is trying to do with you know rate hikes and quantitative tightening and i think this is more the quantitative tightening side i think the rate hike side has been the much more powerful tool here just because the balance sheet side as we just discussed has been their other there are offsetting factors right so reverse repos tga and so that's been a more blurry thing where uh maybe they the fed has not been able to move the needle on the liquidity side as much as they have been able to kind of set the course on the interest rate side. And what the Fed is ultimately targeting with the balance sheet is bank reserves. And this really gets into the, the eye rolling, plumbing things. Uh, but,
1: no, no, but banks but, are a big discussion right now.
2: Yeah. Well because what what when the Fed does QE, it's stuffing the banks full of cash. I mean that's literally what it's doing, right? The 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 Fed prints money, but that money uh, other than like aside from like fiscal policy where the money goes directly into people's pockets with on the Fed side That money goes into the banks as excess reserves and then it's up to the banks to lend those reserves and create that money multiplier And so when the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet, it's trying to lower those reserves uh, To a point where they are less inflationary and so to the question uh, that was just asked um if if there are these offsetting factors that are preventing liquidity from being drained to the point where the fed is satisfied that reserves in the banking system are now low enough um then it might have to continue to do quantitative tightening longer uh, because at some point the reverse repo program will be at zero or close to it, and then you don't have these offsetting factors anymore. Um, so it, it, it does suggest that the Fed is going to go longer, maybe all the way into 2025 or something, in terms of continuing to shrink its balance sheet. So that that's certainly uh, the angle uh, through which I would I would look at the question that was just asked.
1: Okay, brilliant. Um, so there's a number of different things here. So let's let's get into sort of the expectation for cuts. Um, the market expectation of Fed rate cuts in early to mid-2024, uh, is it getting ahead of itself?
2: Um, good question. So we go back to slide 2022. Um, on the surface, so I, I'm put, you know, and we've, we've talked about this for months now. My My sense has been that the Fed is either done or very, very nearly done, and that the big question really would be, how quickly and by how much will it give back <clears throat> some of these rate hikes, right? So, and then again, I go back to the 1990s, uh, Alan Greenspan achieved a, the very rare soft landing. I mean, maybe the only one, um, where, uh, Greenspan raised rates 300 basis points out of the blue <clears throat> in the winter of 1994. And then early 95, um, he declared victory and he gave back 75 basis points of those 300, and that was a soft landing. Inflation was never became a problem, and then we had a monster rally after that in 1995. SP was up 38 percent, I believe it was. Um, and so the hope is that inflation gets tamed. The Fed, you know, let's say neutral a neutral policy is three and a half to four percent. That's my guess. The Fed is now at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. So if inflation is moving in the right direction, I would say three or less, uh, then maybe the Fed says, okay, just to just to not completely you know, tank the economy with these various lag effects, maybe we give back some of this and we go back to four, which would be neutral. So that would be 125, 150 basis points of, of rate cuts, which is exactly what the Fed funds curve, or actually it's called the SOFR curve now, so that black line there, right, we're at the peak of that line now, and when you look at the slope going down, that's about 150 basis points. So the math on its own seems plausible. So on the surface, it seems plausible. Here's the, the SOFR curve uh, measured again <coughs> against the dots. So the, this dot plot will get <coughs> updated in December, which is only a month away. But if you look at the orange line, that's the SOFR curve. And then the gray line, <coughs> I've, atta- I've added a kind of a spread of what uh, QT is supposed to mean in terms of overall Fed policy but if you look at the orange line and you look at the 2025 dots they're basically in the same place so the market is basically saying the Fed's going to be right Uh, maybe the orange line is below the 2024 dots so maybe the market is a little bit ahead of itself in terms of how quick the Fed might give back some of these rate hikes but the Fed, the market is not far from where the Fed's own estimates are. And, of course, you know, the Fed would never want to go to restrictive and stay there forever. I mean, the reason we think about a neutral rate or a natural rate is that's the steady state. That is your, your neutral policy. And neutral, we can argue what that is. So I guess it's around three and a half, four. And so at some point, the Fed would go to neutral. And, of course, the bigger question is, um, would that be a glass half full return to neutral, meaning, uh, you know, the inflation has been tamed, the economy has achieved a soft landing, no reason to be tight anymore, or are we in a recession and the Fed actually will cut, but it will cut much more than what is shown here and it'll, it'll go back to like 2 or 3 percent? That's the question we don't know. Obviously, that has a lot of implications for the market. But at this point, um, the, the The expected rate cuts don't seem unrealistic to me, although maybe the speed with which they happen is a little bit ambitious because I don't see the Fed cutting at all until the inflation the core inflation numbers are much closer to three or below, and they're closer to four right now.
1: so th- there's a great question and it seems to fit with I think one of um, your slides this week is about market leadership and this this is sort of this type of question. So which sectors do you believe you're in will have the most growth potential mm-hmm. for 2024 and retain their potential perhaps into 2025? I mean, what, what are some of the discussions here on leadership? We know the Magnificent Seven, we see that. What else?
2: Uh, slide six shows the top 10 in the S&P. So it's not quite the Magnificent Seven, but it's the top 10 and I just use 10 because this is the series we've always used. Uh, back at the highs from a few months ago, Uh, closing in on the all-time highs. So certainly the leadership of the Magnificent Seven and by extension technology stocks remains undisputed. If we go to slide 14, I show the 11 sectors in the S&P 500 and very clearly you can see tech at the top. Energy was at the top along with tech, but the decline in oil prices has knocked that down a few steps, although not, not too much, it's still in second place. And then at the bottom, you have the bond proxies, understandably so, real estate, utilities, uh, those sectors that are really driven by by interest rates. So that's a pretty big spread. And if we just do a a very quick sort of mental exercise, if we go to slide 15, uh, what I've done with all of of these charts is I've indexed everything to the pre-pandemic high in the S&P from February of 2020, um, and so this kind of normalizes the levels as if they were all the S&P 500 and so in this chart I show the ultimate winner which of course is the the mag 7 and the ultimate loser so far which has been long-term government bonds and expressed as the S&P if the S&P was entirely in bonds it would be at 2349 right now mm-hmm. right so currently the S&P is at 4500 or so if it was entirely in the mag 7 if you were at All your money in the Max 7, it would be as if the S and P was at 9,300, and so that is a huge spread, right? We call them an open jaws chart, Um, and you know the obvious kind of question is, you know, looking ahead, maybe not for the next three months, but for the next three to five years, are these gaps that are going to close? Um, And that I think is sort of the the big existential question that we're all faced with. And if we go to slide 25. I've got a really long-term chart here, uh, going back to, going back to the 1800s. And this shows very long rotations, secular rotation cycles in the bottom chart there, uh, between value and growth, small and large, uh, commodities and stocks, non-US versus US equities. And they follow this three decades long cadence, if you will. Um, and, you know, obviously three decades is a long time. We can't, we're not going to day trade a secular, you know, trend. Um, so, so this, this doesn't mean things are going to turn, you know, tomorrow, but you can see that the stage is kind of set for some form of mean reversion <clears throat> in the coming years. And that would be the magnificent seven against everything else. And, you know, just coming back to the slide I showed earlier, which is slide 16. You know, the the glass half full, so the, the, the bullish, hopeful uh, scenario is that this chart will ultimately win by, you know, basically resuming the uptrend, right? So, um, and if, this, if the equal weight index resumes the uptrend after this almost two-year-long consolidation, then the market would broaden in a rising tape and so what would happen then is you know the the fang stocks or the magnificent 7 they wouldn't implode or anything like that but the rest of the market would catch up um and that is the ultimate bullish scenario and again i don't know better than anyone else whether that will happen but if i look at this chart i see the odds i see the rising slope i see the length and the duration of these trading ranges uh it gives me some some hope that the the uptrend will resume and it and that rising tide will 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 lift all boats
1: that's amazing. Okay. So, um, this is, this goes back to this question. You, you've talked to us about the fiscal dominance, uh, the story there, the long-term U.S. debt. This question, is it safe to say that the Fed wants to see rates lowered as well because of all of the U.S. debt, debt costs servicing that debt?
2: Uh, yeah. So that, let's pull up slide two. Uh, it's a great question. Um, and I don't know what the answer is because the fed is going to have to thread a needle very very carefully right so this i've shown this chart before this is the buildup in the debt since the pandemic started Uh, 10 10, $10 trillion dollars of new debt in three and a half years i mean it's just a mind-boggling number and then in the bottom panel the orange is the growth in the feds balance sheet and you can see that if you go from the left up to the middle of the chart the fed and the debt we're moving in the same direction like it wasn't exactly one for one but <clears throat> most of the debt that was issued was absorbed by the fed and that allowed interest rates to stay very low and then since that time of course the fed has had to ratchet rates higher because of inflation and the balance sheet has shrunk while the debt has continued to grow and so um, i think there are some important lessons here um, and we talked about this last week is that you know back When you've had periods of fiscal dominance, and this obviously isn't, is a period of fiscal dominance because, um, you know, the fiscal side of the house is dominating. I mean, not that the monetary side is not, but, but, you know, the action is happening on the treasury side. Uh, periods of fiscal dominance in the past were 1940s, 1960s. Uh, these are interesting periods in time. Um, and actually we can pull up slide 30 to show this. You know, the 1940s, and we talked about this many, many times over the past three and a half years, obviously debt to GDP went up a lot. That's not, <clears throat> period is not covered in this chart, but we know what happened during World War II. And the Fed was subordinate to the Treasury, was not independent, not yet at least. And the Fed's job was basically to make the Treasury's job easier uh, by keeping rates low. And we had a big inflation, um, and actually, no, let's pull up. By 24, that's a better slide, uh, that tw- 24 shows the money supply growth versus its trend line in the top panel. So you see there that little box is the 1940s, incredible rise in the money supply, very similar to what we've seen during the pandemic, obviously similar circumstances, you know, well, you're, you're war on COVID could be kind of a, a metaphor for the war that happened in the 40s. But we've had the exact opposite thing happen on the monetary side and on the fiscal side. So in the 40s, uh, the Fed stayed at 1 percent, even though inflation went to 20. And eventually the, the inflation went away. The 1950s were very low inflation. And it was not because of anything the Fed did, but it was because the fiscal side went from deficits to surplus. Um, and so the fiscal house was put in order despite the fact that the Fed was just enabling all of that spending in the early 40s. So the inflation problem went away. Uh, that money supply number went back to the trend line. And then in the 60s, of course, you had the great inflation, right? That was in the second half of the 60s, guns and butter, many similarities to today. There you had basically nobody minding the store. You had fiscal deficits. You had a very loose Fed. You had very strong economic growth. You had a very big focus on full employment. That was still the aftermath of the Great Depression. And, uh, and what resulted was a great inflation that lasted, you know, several decades. You can see there how long that black line stayed above that rising trend line. And then you look at now, and it's the opposite from the 40s. So you now have the fiscal side remaining very loose, you know, deficits running six, seven, eight percent of GDP at a time when unemployment is <clears throat> near record lows and the Fed is slamming on the brakes to rein in that fiscal side. So that's a very long uh, answer to that's your question, but the but the answer is that the Fed will not lower rates just to make the Treasury's job easier because the Fed has learned from its mistakes in the past, especially during the 1970s, but what the Fed might do is if the bond market becomes unruly, and let's say you get a failed auction, and we almost had one with the 30-year auction, the Fed, in my mind, there's no question in my mind that the Fed would step in and mop up whatever mess is happening on the Treasury side, much like the BOE did a year ago, but it would not impact what the Fed is doing on monetary policy side. So the Fed would not consider that to be a monetary policy action just a market functioning action. And I think that is the delicate balance that the Fed is gonna to have to uh, play for the next you know, years.
1: The historical context is, is so helpful there to sort of understand what they would and wouldn't do. you Timmer, a great pleasure to see you. Thank you for joining us with your incredible insight into the markets. We appreciate
0: it very much and we'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving to you.
2: Thank you very much, thank you. See you next week.
0: funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.